You're listening to Clouser on Business. Thanks for coming back. I'm Clouser, your host. Glad you're with us today. Our topic today is fraud in the workplace. There is no business, whether a small business or a large corporation, that's not subject to acts of fraud committed by its employees and even others. The impact of fraud on corporate revenue losses, plus the cost of investigations, is overwhelming. Many business owners and corporate executives will tell you that it's impossible for fraud to occur in their businesses, but I'm afraid they may be only fooling them themselves. I'm excited to have with me today Tiffany Couch, owner of Acuity Forensics. Tiffany's a CPA and carries the Certified in Financial Forensics designation and is a Certified Fraud Examiner as well. Tiffany is also author of a book titled The Thief in Your Company. Well, welcome to the podcast, uh, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you're welcome. And Tiffany, please tell our listeners about yourself. And I'm, I, being a fellow CPA, I'm really interested in how you chose to uh, gather uh, an area of expertise in uh, fraud and forensics. Well, thank you. I, uh, I, I call myself a non-traditional CPA, so very much have the accounting background, uh, worked in both private industry and in a traditional CPA role, audit and tax, and really early in my career, um, working for two um, CPAs who did business valuation. We had a woman come in, I'll never forget her, um, huge diamond on her ring, or on her, diamond ring on her hand, um, drove a Jag, um, beautiful clothes, and she said, um, my husband's divorcing me, and he, he says we have no money. And, you know, as a young woman, I'm thinking, well, there's some money somewhere. And I proved out that that not only was there some money somewhere, there was a lot of money. And he wasn't necessarily hiding it from her. He just hadn't told the IRS how much money he was making. And I proved this all out. You know, this is early, late 99, early 2000, mm-hmm. before anybody ever heard, or at least I had never heard the word fraud or forensic accountant. Mm-hmm. And I said, when I grow up, this is what I want to do one day. And so I got my continuing education in forensic accounting and eventually 10 years ago opened acuity so that i could help folks go who are going through these situations mm-hmm. well good for you and you've written a book uh why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that without spoiling the plot <laughs> so i wrote a book called the thief in your company and um the 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 impetus for the book was two things. Number one, I love helping people. And I have all this information that needs to get out on, into a bigger you know, audience. So obviously, I appreciate this opportunity. But the thief in your company is not just about the thief in your company, the person working for you. But it's to talk about that they're literally in your company. They tend to be the one that's most trusted and most well-liked by management or by the owners. And as we saw this, whether it was a small company, and as my business grew, my client size grew, right? I got publicly traded companies as clients now, and we were seeing the same trends. It didn't matter, small or large company. It's that person that's well-trusted, the last one anybody could think about. And I thought... Gosh, if you're running a business, you're an, on a nonprofit board, you need this information. And I really wrote it for those kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and where can people purchase your book? So right now it's on Amazon. Um, you can also get it at barnesandnoble.com and Hudson's Booksellers online. Okay, very good. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, I, I, I got to say a little disclaimer here because both uh, Tiffany and I are CPAs and the uh, premise of our podcast is really for informational and entertainment purposes. Uh, It's not for giving uh, uh, tax or legal advice. So uh, if after listening to the podcast you would like to uh, uh, 
pursue something, uh, contact your own CPA, maybe your attorney, or even reach out to uh, Tiffany's firm on a professional basis. But uh, what we're going to talk about here is not to be uh, construed as advice, but just uh, information. Excellent. How's that? I think that's a that's a great <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> For those in the accounting world, they'll understand that. For the rest of you, you have to go Google it. That's right. Hey, well, uh, to our topic today, fraud in the workplace, uh, just how big of a problem is fraud today within business? You know, the statistics say that on average, um, all businesses lose 5% of their revenues. That's just top-line sales to uh, fraud loss. Uh, and I've seen that actually happen in some situations. So, you know, that's the that's the going uh, statistics statistic out there. It, it's truly something people should at least be considering in every organization. Yeah, and that's just the loss of revenue, correct? Correct. So uh, that doesn't include the cost of me, let's say, if it's my company, hiring someone like you and the lawyer that goes along with it um you know it, and and the time and i think that's the other thing that that really um my book really does speak about is the time and the emotional impact that these crimes have because it's it at the end of the day it's not about the money the money hurts but all of the rest of that you know hurts a little bit worse yeah so. we'll get to a little bit more about that in, in a little bit but excellent uh is there a particular or common uh, profile of the person who commits these acts of fraud and are there any patterns to the reasons why mm. they're doing it? Great question. So, you know, we live in such a politically correct kind of world right now. It's hard to say, but I always have to say, this is the part of my talk where I'm going to be not politically correct, you know. And so what we, we, we do see, at least in patterns, is that the, the pattern we see is most well-liked, most trusted in the organization, usually by management. Um, not necessarily by their coworkers, but usually by management or ownership. Um, the guys who steal are stealing big, okay? Mm -hmm. The ladies who steal, um, they could be stealing for a long time, but typically those losses are typically less than a million. Mm -hmm. And so that's interesting, right? It's, it's kind of like the guys, or do they have more testosterone or something that they're just <laughs> saying, I'm going to go for the big, you know, for the big guns. Go big or don't go. go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go big or go home. And, and the ladies, you know... But although the most frequent uh, cases I get are or are the women, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're the ones managing like the entire doctor's office or the entire dentist office or you know those sorts of cases. So mm -hmm. yeah, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, I found it interesting too uh, from my own experience and uh, also after reading your book. I did read your book. Oh, by thank the, you. By the way, um, but uh, it, it's how the. the it's the person, the owner, or the maybe the management, the executive person would least expect being the one that would do that. What, what, what can you say to that? Well, think about it. If I wanted to steal, number one, I would have to have access to your money, your checkbook, mm -hmm. or the money coming in before it makes it to the bank, right? The customer's money. The only way I'm really going to do that without having you double check everything is to make sure you trust me infinitely, and so it's my theory that these people use that ability to be liked and to be trusted to perpetrate their crimes. And it's the very reason why uh, they go on for so long undetected. It's because they're trusted and well-liked. And so to me, at least in the, ex the experience I have, is they use that as uh, a way to push people away or to ensure nobody looks at them because they are so trusted and the crimes can go on longer and undetected. Mm -hmm. So... Uh what 
what are the uh, common or most prevalent areas that these uh, acts are committed within within the financial arena? Because you know, obviously, it must be happening where someone's got access to the, to the finances, the cash. They might be in a uh, in a work at, in a function that um, you know affects the banks and the financial statements, general ledger, that right. sort of thing. So, number one kind of fraud is somebody simply writing checks to themselves to their personal vendors or you know like a fake company they create it is the number one fraud um and it's also the easiest to catch right because if somebody's looking at the bank statements and cancel checks at the end of the month they're going to say well why do we have all these checks to tiffany couch our Mm -hmm. accounts payable clerk Mm -hmm. there's a problem there so uh the number one fraud is is somebody who has access to the accounts payable system and has the ability to either write checks to themselves use a debit card credit card that sort of thing um the other most common is the person who's in charge of the money coming in from customers Mm -hmm. And they take that money and put it basically in their purse or in their wallet before it makes it to the bank. So that's what we call a cash skimming scheme. Yeah. Is that the same thing as kiting? No. What can you explain? Kiting is different. Okay. Kiting is a, and, and it's a lot harder to kite money as, uh, you know, as uh, nowadays as it used to be. What kiting was, um, I don't have enough money in this bank account, so I write a check on this bank and deposit it into this bank account, write a bunch of checks here that are probably going to bounce, mm-hmm. right? And so that's just a little way of, of kiting's more of a way of floating money between accounts. It's a little harder to do with all the banking regulations, and they've sort of put holds on things now and, and, and doesn't allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh so setting up a vendor, a fake vendor, and paying yep. that vendor is one. Uh, is still maybe putting a fictitious employee on the payroll ledger? Oh. Do you see that? I do. I, it's amazing. We call that a ghost employee scheme. Mm-hmm. And um, what we normally see is it may be not even a fake employee, but let's just say uh, Tiffany used to be our employee. She leaves, and so the, the payroll person or somebody's in charge of payroll basically redirects Tiffany's future, you know, payroll checks to themselves, even though Tiffany's no longer working here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to a trial in a two weeks to testify about a person who did just that, a lot of migrant farm workers. And uh, he was managing the ranch, and he basically told corporate, hey, listen, these people are still working for me, when in reality they weren't. And so he was turning in time for all these people that weren't actually working at the ranch and collecting all the paychecks himself. Wow. Hey, well, what would be your response? Uh, let's say if I came up to you, I was, uh, let's say, a CFO, VP of finance somewhere, and you were talking to me about, you know, fraud in the workplace. And and I would say something like, well, we have such good and sound internal controls here, this would never happen to me or to, to my company. A number one excuse I hear. And all, all I say is I, I sincerely hope that you do. But if you if you discount the the need for understanding fraud risk or addressing it in your organization, your organization is going to be more likely to be impacted by this than by somebody who's at least understanding it, addressing it in some way, um, than somebody who says it can't happen here. Because it's the clients who say it can't happen here that end up calling me. So it's that first story uh, in my book where I talk about. Tiffany, just come and, and help me with this $20,000 payroll issue. I can't believe this. I didn't listen to you. I didn't think it could happen here. And then what do I find? You know, hundreds of thousands yeah, of dollars exactly. missing. And and so it, it 
it's the minds that mindset is what I'm hoping to to change. It's it's not that I believe fraud's happening everywhere. I just believe the risk can happen anywhere, right? The risk is everywhere. Yeah, the risk is there. The yeah. risk is there no matter what company it is, even the ones with Sarbanes-Oxley and all the mm-hmm. internal controls in the world. However, it's that mindset. And it's that's the difference between whether or not you're going to be impacted. Um, and I, I th- think that's an important yeah. – uh, it's I'll, a great point you make there. Yeah, well, I want to keep – I want to keep uh, internal controls in the back of our mind for a second, sure. but, I, but I have a uh, associated question uh, because you make this point in your book is that there's a disconnect with owners, management executives that having audited financial statements will prevent fraud or that the auditors should find these things. Yes. And so once you explain to our listeners, uh, don't get down too far in the weeds. I will. I promise. <laughs> this is a fascinating statistic, okay? And I get all of my statistics from the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. And we can just think, you know, talk to anybody who has an audit. I have an audit. The audit says, the audit from the auditors comes back clean. And so usually that's one of the number one anti-fraud controls. Companies say, well, I have audit every year. Auditors say my books are clean. Auditors only find 3% of frauds auditors only find three percent of fraud so so even though they are the last people to find the fraud it's the number one anti-fraud control companies think they have Mm -hmm. and i can't tell you how many organizations have come here and said even though my audit was clean things weren't quite right and i i i have this ongoing stomach ache and i can't figure out why Mm -hmm. and it's because Listen, our auditors are looking up here, right? They're looking at the higher dollar amount transactions. They're taking a random sample. Well, well, and, they're, and, and they're not testing every record of the company. Correct. That, that's really... Correct. And that's really... And, and if the fraudsters in the accounting department, they know what the auditors look at, mm-hmm. right? So they're going to be hanging out at a lower level, making sure that they're not doing anything the auditors can catch. Right. And the uh, just for those who may not understand that when you have audit when when you have an audit service performed on your financial statements, the records that are tested are selected uh, from uh, probability tables. Correct. And, and those and so if if the transaction that the fraud's associated with just happened to be between the two they tested, you know, unfortunately the auditors did not not do their job right. They did what they were supposed to. Correct. Just the fact that the records that had that associated with it's not in the test pool. Very good. And and the auditors have to consider fraud risk, but they're looking at fraud risk as this material number that would change those financial statements. And most fraud is happening way underneath any of those levels. Mm-hmm. And and let's face it, if the fraudster is the one dealing with the accountants or the auditors, the fraudster is going to have great plausible reasons why some things don't add up. And most really nice auditors are going to go, hey, I discussed this with management. Everything's okay and go on to the next thing. Yeah. So one of the next best things that uh, company management or owners can do then, knowing this, is let's go back to the internal controls. Now, yep. so what you know, what type of internal controls would you like to see and uh, that might prevent uh, not not that we can say you can prevent fraud because if the season's right for it, it's going to be it's going to happen. Right. I, I always say you know there's no absolute you know perfect way to do any of this, but there are some things. There are key things that I see over and over again that people fail to do. And the number one is let's just think about bank statements and credit card statements. 
we get them every month. But now what happens? The bank sends them electronically, and they're not getting opened. And so what happens is your fraudsters rely on the fact that you, nobody's reviewing the bank statements and cancel check images, and they're relying on the fact that nobody's actually looking at those credit card charges. Mm-hmm. And it sounds ridiculous. It sounds ridiculously simple. But my goodness, let's just get those returned in paper. Again, not politically correct, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be green, but we're not going to be green on this, all right? We're going to get the bank statements. We're going to pay the extra however many dollars a month to get those little canceled check images and have somebody who has no you know, uh, authority over writing checks or using debit cards or what have you look at those statements and you would be surprised i mean people think i'm a genius and i i'm not I, i'm a genius no yeah, i no i'm <laughs> smart but i know where to look right yeah. and and it's so heartbreaking because these frauds will go on for so long and they've been sitting there right in that bank's those canceled check images or right on those credit card charges and nobody's ever bothered yeah. to look at them I, I, it's I think, amazing i think it's funny uh I went. I was working for this gentleman one time, and uh, just as you described, the uh, transactions now come into the account. You can look at them online or whatever. Well, one, you know, it's just in, uh, ingrained in ingrained in me from my training and experience. But you know, I watch. So I a couple times I asked him, "Hey, did you buy something in this location or whatever?" And he he thought I was questioning you know him, his integrity him, right and, right you know and what i was i was just trying to verify that we didn't have someone you know taking funds out of our account right and we weren't aware of it or whatever so uh but you it, in the electronic age we live in today you really have to do things you, you got to be better on your uh, game i think you do you know? it, it the banks have made it a little bit easier actually for people to get away with these things longer because they're no longer sending that paper unless you tell them you want it mm-hmm uh Again, this might be a little old school for Clouser here, but uh, you know the importance of employees taking vacations. Oh, so that so some so easy things to do. Bank statements. We just talked about that. Employees taking vacations are so important. But here's the thing: I want to make sure of. They're leaving on Friday. They're not coming back till the you know that second Monday. Right. But somebody's doing their job during that week that they're gone. It, to me, this has to be mandatory. Obviously, it's not going to cost you any money. Mm-hmm. But but that cross training and making sure somebody's doing their job while that person's on vacation is critical mm-hmm. because that is the prime way that these frauds get uncovered. Mm-hmm. Right. I, you know, I've I've had a couple of cases where somebody gets unexpectedly sick or you know has something catastrophic happens they can't mm-hmm. show up at work and suddenly a phone call comes in or an email or a document and it unravels right. you know a huge fraud so that's a great point that you make there right mm-hmm. and the other the other thing would be uh, maybe separation of duties for- all day long you know we want to make sure that the person who's you know collecting the money from the customers isn't also able to like put credits on a customer account mm-hmm. you know and and hide the fact that they're taking the cash yeah. we want to make sure the person who's entering the vendor bills can't write the checks or reconcile the bank you know unless somebody's looking at the bank statement so these things and most small business think they don't have the resources they almost always do mm-hmm. and in the event that they're really small i i'll tell the owner send the bank statements to your spouse and have or your accountant or your lawyer and have somebody look at it you know it, it doesn't have to even cost that much money but just it's easy to do the controls even if you don't feel like you have 
you know, a robust accounting uh, department. Yeah, and our, our listener base here is from small business owner up to some uh, people that work in large corporations. So what we're talking about today, some companies might be able to more easily afford to do certain things. If you're a smaller business and maybe you have to use someone doing uh, similar functions or uh, right. uh, is as a business owner you should be doing what you should be doing more oversight so that's where the bank statements come to you the credit card statements come to you um, you're most of my business owners they kind of know how much money did we make this month right mm-hmm. open up that bank statement and does, do the deposits match that number if the deposits don't match the number you think you made this month, you might have a problem with somebody skimming the cash before it gets to the bank. So it's just some basic oversight. And I know you're a business owner. I know how busy you are. I know that that seems a little bit overwhelming. For most small business, we're, we're talking a half hour or less a month mm-hmm. for some real appropriate oversight. And here, if you're just like your kids, if they know you're looking, are they going to be in, get in trouble? But what happens? We turn around, we get busy, things get quiet, those kids get in trouble, right? Right. Fraudsters are the same way. They're just grown-ups and, you know, they're children in grown-ups bodies. And so, if they know we're looking, if they know we're getting the bank statements, if they know we're asking questions, those people are a lot less likely to steal because they know you're you're double checking. Yeah. And if you're a business owner that uh, you probably, when you started your business, you were doing your own bank reconciliations, maybe you have somebody else doing them now, uh, go in one day and tell whoever's doing that, hey, I'm going to do the bank recs today. Hey, yeah, Betty, I'm going to do those today. And, and, and just hope you can do it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it's so it's so basic. Um, but I'm, I'm here to tell you it works every time. And, and you're going to have some of those listeners that say, well, Betty's going to be mad at me. She's mm-hmm. going to think I don't trust her. And I always say you just need to ask Betty, you know, listen, Betty, $5 is missing. All roads point to you, and I want to keep you safe in your job. And a, a reasonable person will go, oh, I never thought of it that mm-hmm. way. Whereas a fraudster might give you additional pushback. And so you might be able to gauge um, what might be going on just based on their reaction to you asking to do something as simple as look at your own bank statements or yeah. do your own bank rec. Yeah, or, or just ask, hey, what's this? You know, explain to me what this charge Correct. is for. How, Pull the documents for yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. So um, how do you normally get called in to a business? I mean, what, uh, what, what maybe someone suspects something or they found something. What causes them to call you? Yep. A um, couple of things. Sometimes they've got, they've got an HR issue. They've gone to their lawyer, and their lawyer calls me. Or they've heard their accountant tell them, you know, you need a forensic accountant because things aren't adding up. Or they've actually found one transaction. Like, we can talk about the doctor. He found that his long-term office manager had paid herself $20,000 more in payroll the year mm-hmm. prior based on that 401K report. And so he called me to, quote, write it up and, you know, check it out. And so a lot, I just get called with the things aren't quite right or I've actually found something wrong um, or my lawyer or my accountant thinks, you know, you need to have a double check at that. Mm-hmm. Um, those are typically, you know, the reasons. Um, I always say if you've got that uneasy feeling, I call it the stomach ache you've had, even though the auditors say everything's fine and you're taxed, if you've got the uneasy feeling, give somebody like me a call. 
Okay. Uh, I, in your book, uh, I thought it was very interesting uh, that uh, your role is not only uh, one of an examiner, but uh, sounds like you need a degree in psychology to help with the other aspects. That's, that's funny. <laughs> I, I've given that speech more than once saying, I wish I had a psychology degree because um, what, what I learned really early on in these cases is that because the person who's stealing from my clients are the most trusted and most well-liked, the clients are dealing with betrayal first. They're, they're Even though they're concerned about the money missing, they're actually dealing with all this emotional garbage. And it's really weird, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm an accountant. You're an accountant. Yeah. We're accountants. We come to work. We do our work. You know, yeah. We're not usually dealing with people crying or upset during the day. And so I always say, you know, the folks that work with me, we've got to deal with the emotional side first. Um, because that's what those people are dealing with and we need to give them the context that it's actually normal to go through all of this you know you're mad you're angry you're sad um, and go through all of that and the more I allow them to go through that the more information they give me to investigate what's going on yeah yeah so that's interesting Mm -hmm. so if I'm a owner or manager um, of a business what should I be keeping my eye on to be aware of possible fraudulent acts so I, the, the big red flags. Number one, your employee is the first one to work and last one to leave. They never take a vacation. Um, they give you pushback when you ask for something as basic as a financial report or a bank statement. You know, th- those attitudes aren't quite right. Lifestyle doesn't make sense. You, you get to know your employees. You know what you're paying them, right. obviously. Right. And most people kind of know what the other spouse does for a living or whether there is another spouse, right? And so if those things don't add up with the, what, what car they're driving or crazy vacations they're taking or gifts they're giving, uh, that is a red flag to consider. Mm-hmm. How uh, the, uh, This just uh, came to my head here while sure. we were talking, but uh, is there any correlation between financial statements being submitted, uh, you know, late you know is there any you know what it's a a huge red flag because let's let's face it if i'm the first one there last one to leave it's because i've got to it's either because you need to hire somebody else to help this person or i'm doing my job i'm stealing and i gotta cover it up too and i I can't do all of that in eight or nine hour day Mm -hmm. and so the the pushback for the financials is a huge red flag because typically what people will do when they are stealing is they've got to cook the books a little bit right we've got to fudge the numbers to Mm -hmm. make things look right and that just takes time and that makes people nervous and so it is a huge red flag uh, when we we find out that they're not giving the financials to the owners or the accountant or you know the bank or mm-hmm. whomever. Yeah, there you um, you have an interesting story uh, illustration of that in your book about uh, you know the CFO that was some I forget all the details of it. But. Yeah, but he he you know he was very much cooking the books, um, not because he was committing a financial statement theft, but because he was um, you know absolutely wanting you know, stealing and having to fix the numbers before he gave it the the info to anybody. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, fraud prevention and response plan uh, how important is that for a business to have that i think it's absolutely critical so you know fraud prevention or some of these things that we're talking about from from basic oversight on bank statements and credit card statements and payroll reports to more robust you know segregation of duties and internal controls um and then the response plan is always this listen take a big old deep breath you're not going to figure out today mm-hmm. call your lawyer an employment law attorney, especially, because we want to make sure we handle this person appropriately. Mm-hmm. Call your insurance company. And by the way, if you haven't already done it, by the time you 
on the end of this podcast, press pause. Make sure you have six figures of employee dishonesty insurance. Because by the time you're calling somebody like me, it's six figures or more. And I promise that premium won't cost you a lot of money. Yeah. And and then, you know, call that insurance company. See if you have the uh, coverage. And then um, get some info if you can. Get information from the fraudster, but don't ever believe them. You know, I th- I've got a story in there where the lady said, oh, I'm so sorry. I've stolen 30000 My client was so happy that she kind of fell on her sword and admitted to it. And when I was done, she had taken 550000 and spent four years in federal prison. So, you know, fraudsters will want to control the situation if they are caught, and they will tell you anything that they think you want to hear to get themselves out of the hot water. Mm-hmm. Do you help companies write these uh, fraud programs? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, we do. We do help. I love going in and doing the internal control engagements or just a, like a fraud risk kind of engagement usually takes me a day or two at the most for a larger you know company um and uh, helping with that and what's unfortunate is back to that mindset well this is not going to happen here so we don't need that kind of engagement and so unfortunately a lot of times that engagement comes after the fraud investigation and i always say i'd much rather come in and help you um you know prevention costs a lot less money than you know an actual investigation Exactly. Uh, just a couple more things for you, uh, Tiffany, and I really appreciate your insight, your uh, wealth of knowledge here on this topic. But uh, you mentioned whistleblowers in your book. Uh, what encouragement uh, might you give to someone that's maybe hesitant to come forward when they see something that's suspicious? Yes. I'm going to talk to the business owners first here in management. Listen, those whistleblowers, they know. People in your organization know things aren't quite right, but they are scared to death to come and tell you because they don't think you're going to believe them. And you're not going to believe them because you love the fraudster. And so I want you to make sure that you've got literally an open-door policy to allow those people to tell you. To the, to the folks out there who are whistleblowers, tell management, document what you see, what you hear, what you think is going on, and, in the, and, and blow the whistle. Mm-hmm. In the event that they don't listen or don't believe you when the auditors come in tell the auditor if the tax accountant comes in tell the tax accountant um um you know but or if they just continue to not listen to you you might want to consider getting an employment (laughs) elsewhere you know which is always so sad but but i that's why the message to the owners and management is so important because whistleblowers want and i've had multiple whistleblowers come and talk to me about Mm -hmm. that very issue i've blown the whistle they don't believe me or i don't think they'll believe me and it'll make it you know it won't be fun to go to work the next day and so there's all of that that goes into that Hey, well, in, uh, in closing, uh, give our listeners two, to, two or three takeaways about fraud and how to prevent it. And, uh, and again, what's the first best step for an owner or management person to take if they are aware that this act has happened? Excellent. The, the number one thing you can do today is change your mindset. I don't believe that fraud's necessarily happening at your organization. I just believe fraud risk exists everywhere. So all I want you to do is at least consider it. And based on that, then Two, two easy things. Money coming in. Who handles that? And can we take a look and make sure those things, all that money is making it to the bank? And then all that money that's in the bank, can we verify it's being used for your business's purpose and not for anybody's personal benefit? Those are simple, right? Um, and those are the most common things I get called about. Um, and from there, you know, if you think something is wrong, um, I know how scary it is. I know you're probably embarrassed that it might be happening on your watch. 
that's normal um, and there are folks out there that can help you lawyers uh, accountants and listen it doesn't even have to be that expensive you know we can figure out what's going on and use your resources to you know you know investigate what's going on so uh, but don't don't torture yourself by not looking at it because I know it sounds it, it sounds um, contradictory but actually finding out figuring it out helps my clients more than anything because yeah. they they kind of know they just haven't wanted to deal with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's very good. Well, hey, well, we're out of time for today. I uh, really appreciate Tiffany being here to discuss fraud and its impact on business and people. You can find Tiffany's book, The Thief in Your Company, on Amazon and uh, some other places that Tiffany mentioned uh, earlier. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, I've downloaded it, read it, and I've oh, also bought you. a paper paperback uh, edition oh, also. Good. Maybe get you autograph it for me. Absolutely. I think your eyes will be open to what can uh, happen within a business. And uh, if you think it cannot happen uh, to you, well, then... Uh, you know, read that book twice. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany's contact information is on our website at clouseronbusiness.com. You can reach up, reach her at uh, acuityforensics.com. And uh, please tell your friends about us and remind them they can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, and all these at clouseronbusiness.com. Well, all for now, you've been listening to Clouser on Business.